Easter is supposed to be a whole season, all the way to Pentecost, 50 days, not just one day. But it's hard to deny how quickly we seem to have forgotten last week's celebration of the resurrection. In the grocery stores, lilies and chocolate eggs are now on the discount racks. And there are very few fancy hats or frilly dresses on sale in the clothing ads. It was easier to find a good parking place today, wasn't it? And in thousands of ordinary congregations, just like ours, we gather to listen once again to the story of Thomas, who wouldn't believe without proof. Appropriately, the main action of the story takes place on Easter evening, and exactly one week after the first Easter Sunday. But what truly suits the story to the occasion is the subject matter. On the Sunday after Easter, as countless colorful unfound eggs lie burrowed in their hiding places, even those of us who consider ourselves the faithful must come to terms with hidden doubts and decide if Easter faith is real enough for every day. We've said that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that event when history shifted forever. We've proclaimed that God has broken into our world to inaugurate something new. The old age of sin and death has passed away, and a new age, based on God's grace and the gifts of faith, has begun. Yet often our actions speak louder than our words, because it's so easy to forget the new, since we're so comfortable with the old. This morning's story from the Gospel of John recounts two times in which the disciples encounter Jesus after the resurrection. During the first, on Easter evening, the disciples are there, but Thomas isn't around. They're sitting crowded together in a room with the door locked and the shades drawn, scared that they will be the next ones to be arrested. When suddenly, Jesus comes in. He isn't a ghost, and he isn't just a figment of their imaginations. He offers them a blessing. Peace be with you. And then he shows them enough of what the Romans had done to him to convince them that he is as real as they are, if not more so. He breathes the Holy Spirit on them and gives them a few instructions to go with it and then leaves as suddenly as he arrives. Then eight days later, the disciples are still hiding behind closed doors, but this time Thomas is with them. We don't know where he's been, only that he wasn't with them on Resurrection Day. The disciples tell Thomas the same thing that Mary Magdalene had told them. We have seen the Lord. But Thomas doesn't believe them, just as they hadn't believed Mary. He rejects their verbal witness and demands proof. 
but no more proof than Jesus had freely offered to the others. His mind searches for clarity, and Jesus is the ultimate reliable witness. Perhaps Thomas doesn't actually question the resurrection. He just wants to be certain that Jesus has died. For him, belief depends on evidence. If Christ's wounds are real, this is proof. This is the truth. Jesus died, and he is risen. He is risen indeed, right? Our human minds search for order, to make sense of things, to understand the world, to organize all the data that comes into our awareness. This is the impulse that pushes us toward scientific discovery. It's at the core of legal arguments and forensic debate. We have a strong desire to follow the evidence until the mystery is solved. We send robots with cameras to the farthest ends of the universe so that we can be sure of what's out there. We won't believe the assertion until a complicated mathematical equation says it's true. And any time, any time there is a wall bearing a sign, wet paint, we will touch it, just to be sure. We live in a world where proof trumps faith. If our minds want evidence, then our hearts need even deeper assurance. The writer of the Gospel of John knows that ultimately evidence is not enough. The Holy Spirit is needed to provide a closing argument for skeptical minds. In the last analysis, to profess the mystery of resurrection is a gift of grace. The evidence merely reinforces the conviction given to the heart as faith. Faith is a mystery of the heart that our minds want to solve. To admit that we take certain things on faith is to say that we're willing in limited circumstances for things not to make perfect sense. Still, we want faith to be supported by data so that the leap of faith is a manageable one. In this season of Easter, we celebrate the biggest mystery of our faith. That Jesus died for the sins of the world and that God has raised him from the dead. If this fact of faith compared with all the other fantastic stories about Jesus, the healing miracles, walking on water, knowing people that he's never met, this is the hardest one for our human mind to comprehend. Nothing in life is more certain than death. It's easy to determine, as inevitable as taxes, and above all, it's permanent. For Jesus to be raised from the dead denies every instinct of the mind. It just can't happen, period, right? We can relate to Thomas's urge then to doubt. We also insist on seeing something with our own eyes before we decide that it's real. Remember in seventh grade biology class 
I never saw anything move through the haze of my microscope lens, no matter how much I adjusted it. But when my teacher saw paramecium swimming all over his slide, at the front of the room, suddenly our whole class converged around his microscope. We wanted to see something actually move. Or remember being brand new grandmother or grandfathers? when you'd gotten the phone call that your daughter had just given birth to a baby? Doesn't matter how detailed her description is. Thick hair, big dark eyes, and the most incredible fingers. You remain incredulous until you can get there and actually see and hold the newborn. Only then will you believe that it's real. This is the doctrine we live by. Seeing is believing. But here's the truth which with, with which we must come to terms today. The church of the resurrected Jesus Christ is founded on a complete reversal of this doctrine. For now, believing is seeing and not the other way around. Jesus tells Thomas that those who find a way to trust him without the privilege of seeing him are the ones who are blessed. He suggests that believing in another person actually creates a form of sight or perception. The condition of being sightless or blind requires us to trust or believe in someone or something without our physical eyes being part of the equation. This process happens all the time. Every step of a blind person demands the element of trust. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe, he says to Thomas. This challenge is extremely critical for us to hear and absorb in our own lives. What it says is that we are at no more disadvantage from those first century disciples who got to walk the dusty roads with Jesus. Believing in Jesus in our own day and time is its own path to seeing him. This reality is the joy of which Peter speaks in his first letter to a Christian community living long after the time of Jesus. Although you have not seen Christ Jesus, Peter tells his followers, you nevertheless love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. If we continually look for empirical claims on which to ground our Christian life, then we'll always come up short. Always. If visible proof is our requirement for a trusting faith, then Thomas is our twin. Faith is guaranteed to collapse and become a shaky venture if it demands proof for every doubt. How much more lively and real to recall all those things that we end up believing and trusting throughout life. 
but which dwell entirely in the realm of the unseen. Rationally speaking, we don't have any of Jesus' DNA lying around in a capsule somewhere. So there's no way that we could ever scientifically prove his existence. But spiritually speaking, what difference would it make if we could prove that he walked on this earth? Would we suddenly say to ourselves, now I must live differently. Now I can really open up my life and love my neighbor as I'm supposed to. And I can practice forgiveness and withhold all the judgments that I formerly let loose on the world. But this wouldn't be faith. Faith is trusting in someone worth trusting and then committing ourselves to live as Jesus taught us, caring for the poor and marginalized, putting the needs of others before our own, resettling a Syrian family, and loving God with our whole heart. Jesus reminds us today that it is more blessed to trust him than to actually have the opportunity to see him. Believing is a privileged form of seeing. The miracle of Easter is that Jesus comes again and again to scared and confused disciples just like us. The disciples didn't merit a second visit by Jesus, but they got one, as well as a renewed gift of his peace. Thomas is given exactly what he requests an opportunity to see and to touch Jesus for himself. The story doesn't tell us that Thomas actually did touch Jesus because Thomas's touching Jesus is beside the point. The point of Jesus' offer of himself over and over again to people who long to see him. With no questions asked, Jesus offers himself and gives the repeated gift of his presence and his peace. The good news for the second Sunday of Easter is that the power of the resurrection is real. Not just trumpets and lilies and a full sanctuary, but the good news of God's unconditional love unfolding in our lives and stories as we are regularly tempted by fear and despair. We've all had times in our lives when we've doubted, where we've said to God, show me a sign, give me some proof. Maybe it was because we were in a place of unbearable pain or a time where we faced overwhelming decisions with no answers, a time when God seemed silence. But God's grace and peace are offered to us without condemnation. God's love is here as we remember and celebrate Christ's presence in our communion this morning. God feeds us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. We are all invited to the table, not because we've earned the right to eat and drink with Jesus as our host, but simply because God loves us and graciously welcomes us again and again. In sharing this meal as Christ's body, we affirm that we believe.
and that we trust God for all we have and have not seen. May we continue to be assured of God's eternal and conquerable love for us through Christ Jesus, our Lord and our risen Savior. Alleluia. Amen.